Ever since I can remember, I have had to help people spell my last name. It's kind of annoying. They usually get my first name pretty well. It's three letters, so B-E-N, they get them usually every time. But my last name is a weird one. It's uh, B-A-U-M-A-N. And when I was in school, there was all kinds of spellings that would happen. When I was here in Dallas in fourth grade, they were always confusing me for the people that own the funeral home. Bowman. So they would spell it B is, so you spell your name B-O-L-L-M-A-N? Is Mike your dad? That's what I heard a lot when I was in town. Or B-O-W-M-A-N, Bowman. And so that got me the nice moniker in elementary school as Bow Wow Bowman. That was great. Kids are so kind at those stages. Of course, as some of you know, when that movie Benji came out, I was just shot. There's no way. The little dog, really cute dog. But ever since I can remember, that name has been hard for people to spell. And uh, I did a little research on our family. I actually looked at some research that was done on my family. And um, turns out my great-great-grandfather actually came through Ellis Island. Uh, the family came from Austria-Hungary. I don't think it's called that anymore. It came through originally, um, as I saw, I actually have a photograph of the entry in New York City, Ellis Island, they had books where you'd handwrite. Remember when you used to handwrite? That's fun. But you, they handwrote, and there was, there was Bauman. I think his name was Edward Bauman, and he spelled out his whole name, and it had two N's on the end. And I guess over time, some families from Europe dropped the extra letter or whatever to make it easier for people to write and that sort of thing, but came through Ellis Island. Pretty interesting. And, uh, and so, yes, you may be wondering, are you related to the Bauman Farms people? And some of you know, yes, I am related. That There's this farm out there. It was started by Clyde, which was my great uncle. And Clyde had a son named Rick. And Rick is now the owner. I think it's now passed on to his children. But um, for years, I never got a discount there until a few years ago. They, they said, really, are you a Bauman? And I even showed them my driver's license. And they say, turn sideways. I turn sideways, and they take a look at that nose, and they go, yep, you're a Bauman. Therefore, we got our free donuts. Interesting, isn't it? Where your family comes Do you know where your family comes from? I bought my Chevy Silverado from a family in West Lynn like three or four years ago. And when I was signing the documentation, the older couple that was selling me the truck said, Bauman, was your grandmother Emma? And I went, yes, this is weird. She said, our families are from the same little village in Austria-Hungary. The truck is staying in the family, so to speak. <laughs> this is weird. Small world. Stuff like that happens. Bauman. Yep, Bauman Farms. My grandmother, Emma, we named our daughter Emma after her. And uh, Emma's brother, Clyde, I just had these early memories of being at family reunions in Woodburn because the family kind of settled in Woodburn. They're all Catholic. And uh, I remember family reunions and big old great uncle Clyde I don't know how old he was then, probably in his 70s, but he had this huge belly. And he would want all the kids, the kiddos, to punch him. And of course, out of respect, I didn't do that. Of course I punched him. They just punched his belly. That was the thing. I remember Clyde, Emma, all those families. And you think, I don't know if you go to family reunions anymore, but do you know your family of origin? Do you know where you came from? You know, 
do you know your, your people? Family. We don't, we don't choose them, do we? You're born into a family. Ta-da! And you start finding out about family. And you realize, well, that's a creepy, weird uncle, or whatever. You find that family, you don't choose them. You just have them. And for better or worse, you have family. And who are these people in your family? I mean, one way or another, it's important to find out, for better or worse, right? To find out if there's a, a legacy. Uh, they used to, when you got married, they would ask you about, like, your family history. I don't know if they do that as much anymore, but they used to really look at that, like you just make sure you're healthy and that sort of thing, and family issues, anything uh, in the past, and family of origin. Names matter, partly because I think we're, we're born into a greater story. We're, go- we're born into a story that's already been going on. And, and, and how much do we know that story? Because I, I, I remember talking to a, a therapist, a counselor, not too long ago, And she told me, Ben, you'd be surprised how often I am in sessions with people and it comes down to one issue, family of origin. You know, we we always say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We use stuff like that, but the things we learn as a child, whether good or bad, they tend to stay with us. And I know there's healing that can happen. I'm not saying that. Of course healing can happen. We can learn new ways, right? We know this from science. They call them neuropathways. And how behavior can kind of change some of that makeup in our brains. I don't even know the science behind it. But our family of origins matter because these things we learn. Some of you that are blessed to have kids, and some of you are younger, you don't have kids yet. But I remember thinking there are things, like I remember when we we first had children, I kept thinking, I'm not going to do it like my parents. Did you ever have that thought? You know, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to use that phrase. I'm not, you know. And what happens? You find yourself saying the same things that your parents or grandparents said. And you catch yourself going, ah. I told you once, I told you a thousand times. No. You want me to pull this car over right now? <laughs> I'll make you real cry. Okay, these are things that... We, uh, we carry. Some of you are laughing because you've heard those phrases. But family of origin matters. Names matter. And it's important for us to know the names because it's not just a word. It's the people and the history. And you have a history. You, you, anybody in here think that you have maybe some history going back to, like, royalty? Anybody in here? I know some of you might have done genealogy work. I haven't. But anybody royalty? Okay. Who knows? There might be. Related to the king and queen of something? I don't know. Yeah, maybe some. Uh, I have been told that on my mom's side, we go back to, like, I think Sam Houston in Texas or something. I think my my grandma was making that up. But anyway, you have a family. You have history. Today we're going to walk through a little bit of, of family and names and why this matters. And by the time we're done today, I hope to give you two things that I think could potentially change the world. Could potentially change the world if we would do these two things. So hang on. I want to get there, but... Before we get there, we're in this series called 52, and it's really going through the story of Nehemiah, and yes, there's a rebuilding project, but what we're really talking about is reviving a people, a people who thought they were done, a people who thought they were God's people, but then empires and civil war and all these things happened, and in Nehemiah, we find a returned people from exile that are finally back in their homeland, 
And they're funded by foreign governments to rebuild the city. And we saw last week that it took about 52 days to rebuild the walls. That's why we called it 52. But in, in Nehemiah, we're in a larger story. We talked about how Ezra and Nehemiah used to be one book in the Hebrew Scriptures. And this is spanning a long time. When they come back from exile, it was like 445 B.C. When they finally finished the wall, or they come back in 538, when they finally finished the wall, it's like 445. We're talking 80 to 100 years of a larger story. And again, it's not just about rebuilding walls and houses and structures. It's about reviving a people who felt like maybe they lost their identity and maybe, maybe they could find their way again. So we're going to be in that series today. Find Nehemiah chapter 7. If you brought a Bible or a device, it's really helpful to look at this. So even if it's on your smartphone or tablet, I encourage you to do that. Nehemiah chapter 7 is where we're going to be. Hi, I'm Pastor Ben. This is your first Sunday. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Glad you're here. And some of you are online. We see you. Welcome. We gather like this on the first day of the week, like Christ followers all over the globe. And we are one big dysfunctional family of faith. Why do we gather on Sundays? Because that was the day that tomb was empty and it changed human history and our hearts forever. So we lean into that good old story, a legacy that's been going on long before we were born. And today I'm just going to be talking in Nehemiah chapter 7 and we're going to talk about how people matter. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we pause for a word of prayer. As we take a deep breath and lean into your word, I pray that you'd speak to us. That, Lord, we would, we would leave this room different people. That you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would move and shape us. And that, Father, maybe there's some rebuilding projects you want to do on us, whether that be in our community or spiritually. So, God, we, we open ourselves to your word, and may you do some rebuilding and reviving in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nehemiah, chapter 7. Are you ready for this? If you've already scanned down the chapter, you're going to go, are we going to read all of these names? I'm just going to read the first seven verses. You're welcome. But there's some good stuff in here. Oftentimes when we find lists of, lists of names in the Bible, we tend to skip it. As we don't know the people, it's hard to say the names. But I would encourage you not to skip this one. There's some pretty important things in here. But Nehemiah chapter 7, and we're just going to read the first seven verses. Now, when the wall had been built, how many days did that take? Okay, you guys are listening. That's good. Uh, here's Nehemiah saying, okay, now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites, uh, and the, the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be, be opened until the sun is hot. Hang on to that. And while they were still, while they, while they were still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my, my God put it on my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at first, and I found written in it, these were the, were the people of the province who came up out of captivity 
of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his, his town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nehemani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispareth, Bigvi, Nahum, and Banah. I got through those names. I probably hashed a few, but... So now we get the names. We start listing actual family names. The people who were back in this rebuilding project. You may have noticed some of those names. As you scan down, you'll see lots of sons and different places. You see names. People are numbered. This is all important because, well, now that the wall's been rebuilt, and now the temple and the worship has been reestablished, we're going to see more of that next week, spoiler alert, with, with Ezra. Ezra's going to be kind of the spiritual reviver. We'll get there next week, so we'll be here for that. But uh, we're getting ready for a repopulation to happen. We're getting ready now for people to live in the city. But there's a problem with living in the city, and we just found out why. The houses haven't been rebuilt yet. So there's a task ahead to repopulate. But these people are now back, and, and the walls built, doors and gates and bars are now in place. People are delegated to, to kind of watch the different sections around the city walls, and some are put right in front of their own homes. Some, some leadership genius there. If you want someone to protect something, put them in front of their own stuff. They're going to be a little bit more paying attention to who might be... And why do we need to worry about guarding the walls? If you've been around this chapter, a couple chapters before, there's been threats, right? Threats have been made by the locals. And at some point they were working with a chisel in one hand and a sword in another. There's still threats out there, so they want to make sure we've got the different sections of the wall still manned and guarded, especially as now men, women, and children start living inside the city. We want to make sure it's safe. So that starts happening, and then we meet this guy, Hananiah, who's put in charge. Now you'll notice there's uh, two names. Did you notice that? Hananiah and Hananiah. Well, most scholars think that it's the same person, just a longer name. And we do this all the time. Depending on when you met me, or whether you're my mom, uh, you might call me Ben, or Benji, don't you dare. <laughs> or, legally, I'm Benjamin. So, we do this now. I mean, we know that a name, it's all the same name, all the same person. So, this was someone named Hananiah, his full name, and turns out he's related to somebody. If you remember in chapter 1, this is the guy that told Nehemiah about Jerusalem being in ruins. He, he told his brother, Nehemiah, these two are related, they're brothers. And uh, quite a nice compliment that Nehemiah, bro Nehemiah, gives to Hananiah. He said he was much more of a God-fearing sort of person, better than most. That's a pretty nice thing. Not many siblings are so quick with the compliments. And I appreciate that. So we got Hananiah now kind of in charge. And uh, th this is likely, you'll find out as we go through Nehemiah a little bit more, that at some point Nehemiah does go back to the king of Persia to go back to his service. But then he does come back again to, to Jerusalem when he hears some things are not working right. So Hananiah is probably the guy that was, you know, 
interim governor while Nehemiah was away, but they're brothers. We get this who's who listing. And I know it's hard to read all those names and the numbers and that sort of thing. I want you to do something real quick, though. Look at the chapter, scan down beyond what I read. Notice the names and stuff. And uh, then I want you to turn over to Ezra chapter 2. Now remember, Ezra and Nehemiah was, was one book in the Hebrew Scriptures, but it, uh, it just spans a lot of time. Notice Ezra 2. That is a record of the people who volunteered to come back on the first wave of people coming back to Jerusalem. So at this point in history, this is looking back quite a ways. But the family lines that came from Babylon. And we have a listing of them. Ezra 2 is a very similar list. You find that interesting? Because we're generations later. So you might be able to think, well, is this an error? Or why would... And Ezra, that, Ezra 2, Ben, that was 100 years before now. And now we're doing another one and it looks very similar. About 80% of these two chapters are in line. Now, scholars are kind of shaking their heads. They're not sure if there's some copyist things or some errors. But notice there's something curious about the totals. If we're talking generations apart, and I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of I'm, I'm priming the pump here with you a little bit. So about 80% of this is the same. And look at the totals at the end of the chapters, both Ezra 2 and about the end of Nehemiah 7. Do you notice the number? I'll help you out. Ezra 2, verse 64, and Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 66. Notice something interesting? 42,360. Now, there are others counted, but do you find that a little curious? 80 to 100 years apart, different leaders do an account. And that may be odd. For me, I thought, oh, that's interesting that you'd think there'd be more numbers now because they've had all these generations. What we're probably seeing is a reminder of the original families that came. So yes, Nehemiah is probably kind of taking a look at the families and going, okay, we got the full number like that came out. So it's probably more of a number of completion than a new census, if you will. So everybody that originally came, those family lines are still here. And there's a reason why that matters. Because, do you remember how many original tribes of Israel there were? I'll help you out. Twelve. If you know your history, Assyria took the ten northern tribes away. And there's some question about what happened to them. But there were two tribes in the southern part that got moved away by Nebuchadnezzar. Judah and Benjamin. And these names are important because they needed to know what lines they're from because originally the 12 tribes had specific roles to play. And one of the things we've already talked about, right? If you're not a Levite, you better not step in the temple. Bad stuff happens. Because that's violating the law. So they needed to know who is who. Now, I, I told you to take a little note on the sun is hot comment. Now, normally, 
I would think if I were someone back in the day and I had crops to bring in to sell to the market, I would want to be there early in the morning because it's not, it's not fun to have to do the hard work in the heat of the day. And yet, we're told here, Nehemiah is saying, don't open the gates until the sun is hot. Why in the world do you think he would be cautious about that? Anybody have an idea? But there's going to be some audience participation. It's okay to say it. You online, I'm not sure, put it in your chat window. But sun is hot. So that would mean, what is that, 1 or 2, 12, noon? So why was that noted there? Well, it could be. Remember, there's these threats. There's these threats out there, so probably Nehemiah didn't want them to open the gates too early in case people were still sleeping. And he didn't want to attack if some of the folks were asleep and not may, maybe paying attention. So by, by the heat of the day, they would have been awake. You're probably talking about an attack prevention provision here. So that, I thought, was interesting. How big is Jerusalem at this point? Does anybody know? I know some of you get your study Bibles. Well, I'm going to find that out. Okay, I'll help you out. Probably, and, and this is hard to figure out. Here's why. Because ancient cities sometimes got built over themselves. And so sometimes the walls would change, or like David changed the city of Jerusalem quite a bit because he put his mighty men and all these different people in the armory kind of south of the temple area. So he kind of built it up a little bit more. But we think about this time, we're talking about 30 to 40 acres. And... This is where we're going to be repopulating, but there are no homes being repaired or built yet. So we have a dilemma. We need to get these things built. And then we march into this census, this census that is echoing who originally came. So this has probably been something where the kids and grandkids or whatever like verifying, yep, here's our documentation, here's our passports, all of this. Again, verifying what family line you came from, especially when it came to who worked in the temple. That was a no-no if you weren't a Levite. So you see why it's important for people to know where they came from so they know their roles, uh, so that we know now who can transfer into the city. This is all prep work for repopulation. And you might ask, you know, why? Because it's kind of weird for us. Why does bloodline matter so much? I mean, we've talked about the Levite thing, so okay, we get that. Those are the people that are working in the temple, so that's an honor to God, so we want to honor that. But why are the bloodlines so important? Why were they so concerned? Part of it could be their, their heritage, their link to the past. The, the, all those promises when they were set up as a new people under Moses, and all the, all the stories of Moses that these folks heard, this is important to them. It's like learning. It's like we don't, we don't really are able to, to look at the future without kind of knowing a little bit of the past. And they wanted to know who we came from, almost like a, maybe a bit of, of, of pride, a bit of um, nostalgia for who they really were, who your great, 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 who that is. By the way, do you, can you even name your, how far back can you name? Hang on to that. So they're, they're, it's important for them to know the family line and the bloodline, to know who they came from. Because if, you know, if your great-great-grandfather was like Judah, that's kind of a big deal. Or, or, or your, you know, your, if your line ran through Reuben or whatever, you'd want to know these, these names. 
Like, hey, I'm, I'm, I have a story. I have a grand, a great, 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 yeah, way back in the day. And, and then they would know who handles the different roles in the city. So that's probably why that's important. And we noticed in the list, too, if you look down, there's some towns listed and that sort of thing. These are the ancestral homes. Part of that is even like uh, um, property. Because how else would you know what property was owned by who if you didn't know the proper lines? Because property was important. Who couldn't own property, though? Levites. So it's also important, if a Levite had some property, they were supposed to get their, you know, they, Israel was supposed to take care of them, and they wouldn't need property, so they would grow their own food. So these, you see why this is all important. These bloodlines mattered to them. They knew their patriarchs. They were settling in those ancestral towns. I, mean, I don't even know how they remembered all this all this time. Again, remember, we're talking 100 years. They would have had to keep records somehow. Are they putting it on pottery or papyri? I don't even know how they're keeping track. Because I think we, here in this room, probably don't keep good track of who's parent and grandparent and all that. But they were really meticulous about it. I'm kind of impressed. And when you couldn't document your family, you couldn't serve in the temple. Right? Because what we're, what we're afraid of, right? We're afraid if you weren't a Levite, something bad's going to happen to you if you walk into that temple. Especially the inner parts of the temple that were supposed to be super holy. So, if you couldn't document, and this shows up in verse 61, if you couldn't make that documentation, you didn't have the passport right, then they had to wait for a priest to do or use these tools that scholars are still perplexed about. There were two tools from, from the Old Testament law that the high priest would carry. And so the people that couldn't document it could not do anything in the temple unless they could be verified by a priest who would make this decision for God using the Urim, or the Urim and Thummim. Anybody ever heard those two? Ur, Urim and Thummim. Am I saying that right? Now this is, we don't know how big these were. We don't know what they were made of. There's some, some mystery to it. And some would say, well, no, that's just like casting lots in the New Testament. That's a different thing. Casting lots is like drawing straws. I mean, that's just luck of the draw. This was different. The, the priest would carry these devices, this like divine decision devices, and be in tune with the Lord to make decisions. So that had to happen before any of these people who couldn't document who they were could ever do anything in the temple. Again, they were, the people were real serious about, hey, we're exiles. We're coming back. We've been, we've been you know, not obedient, and that's why all these countries have taken us apart, but... By golly, we're back now. We have a city. We're going to obey. They were serious about obedience. We'll see that even in Jesus' day. They are serious about obedience because they want to get back to the statehood they had before. But God had some other things he wanted to do. So we, we find this Urim and Thummim for those who couldn't you know, document their, their, their bloodlines. We have the counting of livestock and all that. Why do you think that was important? Probably because temple worship, sacrifice, who owned what. So that's all happening. And you'll notice at the end of the chapter, just take a look at this. I think this is where the, the English editors probably didn't do a, a, a super awesome job of splitting up the chapters. Because I feel like the verse 73 should really kind of be in chapter 8. And in verse 73, if you look real quick on chapter 7... It, it just seems like it belongs in chapter 8. And when the seventh month had, had come, the people of Israel were in their towns, and all the people gathered as one into the square before the water gate. I think that was kind of a goofy break between 7 and 8. And you might be thinking, oh, you can't say that. 
The original documents didn't have the, the chapter numbers and they didn't have the nice little thematic headings on it. Uh, they weren't written with those in mind. So saying that is just re recognizing that sometimes we'll find that in scripture where maybe uh, that should really belong to the chapter later. But I found that rather interesting. When we hit chapter 8, in comes our friend Ezra. And Ezra is going to help the people because he's a Torah expert. That means he knows the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, books of the law. He's going to help the people spiritually reset, get things back on track in their spiritual lives. We're, we're going to do that next week. So I hope you can be here next week. We're going to unpack uh, the, the team Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah become a team. Uh, Nehemiah is the governor guy, leader guy. Ne or, uh, Ezra is the guy that's helping people get back to the Lord. So that's going to be, we're going to talk about that next week. But let me, let me bring it down to us. Why, why, why do names matter to you? What, what names matter to you? Your family line, your family name, names of people who've gone before. Maybe, maybe a name that matters to you is a, a mentor or a teacher. Or maybe the name is someone that baptized you. Do you remember the name of the person who baptized you? Maybe, well, maybe it was a pastor, somebody like me, or it could have been just someone that really led you to the Lord, told you about this great Jesus. Do you know the person who introduced you to Jesus? Can you, can you name them? Are they still with us? Have you thanked them? What names matter to you? And I, and I said it in, in, in passing earlier, but how, about, how far back can you go? Who's your dad? Who's your dad, or was, if he's passed away? Who's your, who's your grandfather? Who's your great-grandfather? How far back can you go? How many people can go back three or four or five generations? And do you know their first names? Because oftentimes we just call them grandpa. And if you have like two or three grandpas, like in our family, you, get, you, have, you have to figure out what to name them. Are you papa? Are you grandpa? Are you, you know, how many names do you know? How far back can you go? How many people feel like you can go back maybe 50, 100 years? Okay. Maybe some of you have done some of that genealogy work too. I'm not really good at that stuff. But these names matter. These, why, do we, why do we know their names? Because they matter. These are the people that were responsible for this. The people that were responsible for you. And knowing their stories and what they struggled with and where they lived... We are born into a story. We are born into a family. The people of Israel that had returned, they had a story. They had a backstory. They had an incredible backstory. And they wanted to relive it, find out who, what, what part did you play in that? What part was your family in? It mattered to them because names matter, legacy matter, and people matter to God. Who, who in your life has really been an impact? I think here in Dallas, there was a teacher that I had in fourth grade, his name was Mr. Chase. Somebody reminded me of his name after first service. He was an influence. He was a, a, a male teacher at fourth grade. We didn't, back when I was in school, we didn't have a lot of male teachers. He was really helpful for me to see a, you know, a guide being the instructor. That was big to me. These are people that speak into your life. Who in your life could use a thank you or a phone call or a note who spiritually influenced you? Names matter because people matter. And we can honor people in small ways. 
Do you keep memories? Anybody keep like a scrapbook or anything like that? How many pictures do you keep? How many of you are more collectors of the old stuff and how many of you are like no clutter? Who, who likes to collect stuff? Let's see if the, and who likes no clutter? Can you be the same? Maybe? I don't know. My wife always gets on me because the desk may look clean on the top, but when you open the drawers, it's all perception. What do you keep? What memories matter to you? Do you know who spoke into your life? Do you know those who have gone before that maybe have sacrificed for you to be where you're at? Took sacrifices. Again, I was telling you about my great-great-great-grandfather, Edward Bauman, who probably took a, you know, a voyage that would have been risky, probably leaving Europe, looking for opportunity, looking for food, who knows? What risks were, take, were taken for the people who, who were, were before you? Who are those meaningful people that you could honor if they happen to still be with us? I want to show you something that I think is so cool. And no, the Apostle Paul was not trying to help me with this sermon. It's already in there. It's in 1 Timothy. But I love how it dovetails into what I'm talking about. If you have a Bible or device, find first, or 2 Timothy chapter 1. Because we have a great opportunity to provide a spiritual legacy for those who will be alive when we're gone. We have a chance to leave a spiritual legacy. And what an opportunity that is. Listen to what Paul says to his buddy Timothy. Again, Paul was like not related to him. He was a spiritual mentor for Timothy. Listen to what he says. I remember, Timothy, your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, name Lois, and your mother, name Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Paul names his family. Spiritual legacy from generation to generation. And then he said in verse 6, this is why I remind you to fan the flame, fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. And now there's Paul, a name, speaking into his life. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, a timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. I promised you at the beginning that I, I wanted to give you two things that I think could change the world. In even small ways. But I would challenge you to honor your ancestors. Honor the people that came before you. Now that may be difficult. There may be some hard things in the past in the family. Find a way to know, acknowledge, honor those. And that could be not just family, but your spiritual ancestors, the people who spoke into your life. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus today because your mom met Jesus somewhere or your dad met Jesus somewhere. Can you find out who they are and thank them? And if they've passed away, maybe you can tell that to the kiddos. Maybe the generation, maybe that person who spoke into your life is already gone and they're with Jesus. But... Their kiddos are still around. And you can say, you know what? I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus because of your dad, of your mom. Imagine that. Imagine if we could do that. So I just want to encourage you to honor the ancestors. And, and, and the second thing is to hone your legacy. What we do now echoes through eternity. 
And if you're sitting there thinking, well, man, I, I think I've already screwed up. No, you haven't. You have time. You, you got up today. God gave you one more day. You got one more. You got 24 hours. It's counting down. Burn daylight, people. How can you change your legacy? If you don't like what's already happening, what could you do to start changing that legacy for those who come after you? God is still large and in charge, and he's going to do honor you for that when you think about your legacy. What do you want people to say about you when you're gone? What do you want your kids to say? Someday, and if you're blessed to have children, that's awesome, what, what are they going to say about you two generations from now? Are they going to remember you? And if so, which is awesome, why? Because my great-grandfather was a preacher in Dallas, Oregon. Small little place. I don't know what they're going to say about me. What are they going to say about you? And if you don't like already what you think they're going to say, today's the day to start changing that. Honor your ancestors and hone your legacy. It matters. It will echo into eternity. Start becoming today the person you want to be remembered as then and in the future. Become the person today you want to be remembered. I think that's a great challenge. Imagine all of us doing that. Imagine us doing that. What, what could that change in the world if we were able to do that? Hone your legacy, honor your ancestors, leave a legacy of faith, hope, and love. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love for us, your faithfulness, for the scriptures. Father, empower us. Uh, repair, rebuild in our own lives so that we can be people who honor those who, who were before us and leave a legacy for those af after us. A legacy of faith, hope, and love. Father, empower us to do that starting today in Jesus' name. Amen.